Thank you. So I'm going to read Joel chapter 3, which uh, in your Bibles you'll find on page 915. Uh, And then Eddie will speak to that passage. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes and sold girls for wine to drink. Now what have you against me, Tyre and Sidon, and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you're paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I'm going to rise them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshells into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk and the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever 
and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Victoria. Good evening, everyone. I'll just move this out here a little bit. I feel a bit closer, maybe a little bit more closer. Um, good. It's nice to be here. Nice to be with you. Um, I'll begin with a, a story, a, a sad, a very sad story uh, for you. I need you to listen in carefully, okay? Um, once upon a time, there was a young woman uh, married to a man who worked very hard. She felt neglected. When her husband went off on yet another voyage in connection with his work, the young wife met an attractive man who invited her to his house. She spent the night there, and at dawn she left, knowing that her husband was coming back. Alas, the bridge was blocked by the madman who kills everyone who comes near him. The young wife followed the river and met the ferry operator, but he demanded 100 pounds to take her to the other side. The young wife had no money. She ran back to her lover and asked for 100 pounds. He refused to help. The wife ran to a woman friend who lived nearby. The friend refused to help. The wife had disillusioned her by her conduct. Her only choice was to go back by the bridge in spite of the danger, and the madman killed her. (laughs) It's a joyful story for us to begin with. But here's the, here's the question for you, having listened carefully to that story. In what order would you hold the principal characters in that story? There's a wife, there's a husband, there's a lover, there's a madman, there's a ferry operator, there's a friend. In which order would you hold those principal characters responsible for the tragedy? Yeah, how would you make your, your judgment? On what basis would you make your judgment? I'm not going to read the story again. You can, you can let me know afterwards what uh, you would make of it. But the, I, I raise that to ask the question, who would dare to pass judgment? It's not an easy story, is it, to, to make and to pass a judgment? Because the, the, the truth is, isn't it, that some judgments are, are easier to make than others. I've been thinking this week about this and thinking about, um, for a moment, you know, that horrible story about Star Hobson. Have you seen that in the, the newspapers and the news? The toddler whose parents horribly neglected and abused her. It's, in a sense, not hard to make a, a judgment in that case, is it? We, we desperately want justice for Star. It seems more obvious. Think for a moment about the 21 dead, 19 primary school Children shot dead on Tuesday in a Texas school. It's not hard to make a judgment, I don't think, there, is it? We dare desperately want some justice there. But of course, then there are judgments that are, are much harder to make, aren't they? Like our story, really, actually. Um, 
far harder to work out the rights and the wrongs. I remember a few years ago, where oh, it was quite a few years ago, when um, Jean-Charles de Mendes was, was shot, wasn't he? Mistakenly by, by the police in July 2005, I think it was. And, and there was all sorts of confusion at that time because there was all sorts of terrorist attacks at that time. Or, or what about the case of, um, for example, of, that we see in the media so much at the moment between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. As we look in, he's suing her for defamation. How are we to know? Or, or think for a moment, whose fault is it that the Northern Ireland power-sharing executive is not meeting? Some judgments are, are hard to make, aren't they? They're not easy to make for us. And in the haze of, you know, all our social media uh, and all that goes on there, um, distinguishing between fact and fiction um, is really hard. Um, I actually only have to think for a moment about my own home. Uh, As a father, as child A comes to complain about child B, about child B doing X, Y, and Z... Um, and they look at me both at the same time and say, make a judgment. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Uh, it can be impossible to tell. And yet we all want justice, don't we? Uh, my children certainly want justice. And they let me know, I tell you, on a regular basis. But here's the question, who's going to judge? Who's going to judge when we don't have all the information, we don't have all the facts, we cannot see what uh, is in people's hearts and motives. And uh, 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 It's really difficult. Who would want that responsibility? I know, I know I would not want that responsibility. And yet it seems to me we are living in an increasingly judgmental world. Uh, probably not least because of, of the social media that we experience. So in this series on Joel, and we're coming to the last one, we're asking the Lord to revive us. And perhaps one of the ways in which we need to be revived in is our understanding of God, isn't it? We need to, to know God to be revived by him. And one of the things sometimes we don't talk about is being revived by the justice of God. He's a just God. Uh, and to revive our hope that there is one who can sort out all this mess, all these messy situations that we've just talked about, who could sort out that mess of the story of the sad story that I began with. Let's just take a moment, shall we, to pray. Father God, we we come to your scriptures and praying that you would reveal more about who you are and we pray that you'll show us more about our need of your son Jesus. And so, Father, we come before you asking as we look at your word that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you haven't been with us, just let me briefly recap. Uh, Joel has been this great day of disaster. You remember the locusts and caused by the sin and rebellion of um, God's people against God. They turned away from him. Yet because of God's great love and his compassion, um, he's found a way and he's called them back um, to him and uh, they've turned to him. Uh, Because the good news is that God is going to come 
He is going to provide for them. He is going to be with them. It talks about being dwelling with them forever. And he makes that amazing statement in chapter 2 that we saw a couple of weeks ago about uh, the fact that he's going to pour out the Spirit on them. And of course, we know that that's what, jo- what uh, sorry, Peter um, uh, uh, preaches on the day of Pentecost, and, and he, he talks about Joel 2, doesn't he? In the last days we are, pointing us forward, there will be this time of blessing to God's people that we have the Spirit in the last days. Wonderful picture. And um, in very many ways, that's where we are, isn't it, in those last days? And so we come to chapter 3 thinking perhaps things are going to be all sweetness and light. It's going to be all Scooby-Doo now. Brilliant. And you've heard it read... And you think, what? What do we find here? We find this talk of war. Uh, a final battle, we might call it. A last battle that C.S. Lewis uh, used in his, his great um, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, didn't he? The last battle. And so firstly, in verses 1 to 8, we have this judgment declared, that there's going to be a great judgment Verse 1, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will enter into my judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people, Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and divided up the land. And you notice the, the repeated my there. Jesus, my people, my Israel, my inheritance. The point being here is that... that um, Sin and rebellion is a personal affront. It's a personal affront to God. Uh, and, and these people being his, it's a, it's a personal affront. My people, it's sort of saying, how dare they? And so what we see is we start to see who God is, the character of God, what he's like. And one of the things we realize is that God hates injustice. He really hates it. He does not like it. He's against it. And he's sort of saying, how dare these things happen? How dare things like Star Hobson happen? How dare things like 21 people are shot? God is not indifferent to those things. He hates them. He, he really dislikes them. How dare people gun down um, my, 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 uh, uh, my people in Pakistan, and, and there's been many people martyred recently because of their faith in the Lord Jesus, not just in Pakistan, but many other countries. And so what it is, is it's reminding us of the jealous of, jealousy of God. Um, like Just like a husband has, passionately defends the honour of his wife. That's what we're reading here. God is like that. The surrounding nations have bullied, they've abused God's people, and God has had enough. And he will bring justice. He's saying it's going to happen, and this big brother, as it were, isn't the kind to pick a fight with, because it's God. This is God. And it says, the verse 8, that section ends with a very forceful, the Lord has spoken. It's a very definite thing. He has spoken. Um, There is judgment. It is declared. God is one who will bring it. Now, having declared judgment, then God summons them to war. 
There's no other way of putting that in verse 9. You can see it. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. And it's a sort of strange picture he's giving of what the last judgment day will be like. And and, and there's kind of irony of that famous Isaiah passage about, um, about beating swords into plowshares. You know that passage that we often like to quote about because it's about a peaceful language but in this last battle in verse 10 it's reversed beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hits into spears let the weakling say i'm strong and of course it's the picture here to summarize it is really trying to express this is a very one-sided battle actually um and (laughs) it reminded me a little bit of when i was a kid i used to watch uh, with my dad and Dad's Army, which probably shows my age, and um, there was there was Dad's Army was all about these this group of um, home guard who would try to defend um, defend England if we were attacked um, by Germany at uh, Nazi Germany, and of course they had they didn't have anything to defend themselves really apart from pitchforks and spades and all that sort of stuff. Some of you will know it. If you're of a certain age, you'll, you'll remember it. But it, it sort of stuck in my mind as a kid as being completely one-sided if it ever happened. That, and I think that was the point of the programme, is it was meant to be. Some of you who are older will, will perhaps remember that. I think was the point of the programme, was to show how futile it would have been. You see... Um, it doesn't matter how many weapons, how many warriors, how many men you have on your side. You, this last battle is, is fighting against it's God, the Lord. And Joel is pointing out how futile it is to resist at this point. It's a very stark picture. Verse 12, let the nations be roused, let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the way the judgment is going to take for that take place. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side, swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the wine press is full and the vats are overflowing, so great is their wickedness. Your know, resistance is futile. It's an awful, it's an awful picture, actually. Um, I tried to think of something, an illustration to, to, to describe it, but I think the illustration is, is the illustration here, isn't it? Given of, of being trampled and being cut down, being crushed. And so verse 14 says, multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. This is a day, this judgment day, a day of decision. It, and it, and it's, it's a final decision, isn't it? here. Um, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded when I was at university the very first time, because I, I spent 11 years at university, I was very slow. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I remember the first time I went to Aberdeen University, um, when you had exams, you had to go to the registry office and they had all these boards up around it. And the results used to get posted 
on the boards. Probably now they send them by email or something. Um, but in those days, when I had exams, you, you, they posted them. And we'd all like kind of gather around these boards to, to see um, the results, um, looking for the decision. And what we were looking for, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a decision of the process of the exam or anything like that. We were looking at the examiner's decision and the examiner didn't bother putting, the examiners didn't bother putting up your percentages. They didn't bother putting up whether you got this grade or that grade. It was just a name. <laughs> and of course, the thing was, if your name wasn't there, <laughs> that was bad news. <laughs> That's how it worked at my university. Um, a decision um, not made by us, but by the examiner. And that's the sense here in Joel 3, in verse 14, in this valley of decision. And God will decide the fate of all, everyone who has ever lived. At the end of time, when the Lord returns, the time for people to make a decision will actually have passed. It's very sobering, isn't it? For it will be God's decision. And so we should rightly ask, what of this judgment. What is this judgment? Is it going to be good news or bad news? Think about that for a moment. Is it going to be good news or bad news? And the impartial observer might say it's good news because the wrongs of the world will be judged as evil will be overthrown forever. Justice will reign. It will be good news, right, for that because justice will be done. For perpetrators of abuse, for victims in Texas, surely that's good news. Because here's the problem, we, we're not impartial. We can't step back and say, not involved. You and I don't have the full facts to judge correctly in every situation. We actually find ourselves caught up in it, don't we? But when God comes in judgment against all that is bad and wrong in this world, we have to actually ask ourselves, well, where do we stand in relation to that? Surely, actually, it's our judgment as well. For us who daily sin and do what is evil in God's sight. Now, that day of decision arrives at the first half of verse 16. Do you see that there? And it sums up the mood of that first part, the Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem, the earth and the sky will tremble. It's actually a terrifying picture as the holy and just God roars his judgment against all that is wrong and evil. How confident are you on that day? How confident are you on that day? Do you put confidence in your own assessment that somehow... It'll keep you from falling as the Lord roars. That somehow our good deeds will be good enough. That we'll be able to pass the grade. And praise God. Thank the Lord that it doesn't end there. Verse 16. Because if you look closely at the, at, at the second half of six, verse 16. Good news. We read of good news. 
because it starts with a but. And there's so many buts in the Bible, and I call them big buts, really. That probably sounds a bit awkward, but (laughs) there's so many big buts in the Bible, and it's here. Verse 16b, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. You know, the war will rage on that final day. The decision will be final. Yet for God's people, for God's people who have refuge in him, will be found alive. Um, Do you remember, well, as I was thinking about this this sort of war raging above, um, it sort of reminded me a little bit of, well, what would you expect uh, when you come back up out of the, say, um, you're underground and you're, you're coming back out after the war has finished? And what would you expect to see and, and, and expect to emerge from? And I, it took me actually to the, the terrible scenes in Ukraine, aren't they? And as you can imagine what it must be like for some of those people who came out of the steelworks in Maripol. Um, to look at the, just the devastation that was around them and the awful pictures. This must be horrendous. And the sort of scene of devastation. And it, it also, and I was thinking about the, reminding me a bit of the movie, the, the War of the Worlds, if you've ever seen that. So I'll enjoy that film very much. And you, Tom Cruise and his daughter, there's an alien invasion and it's an apocalyptic battle and they emerge out of it and there's just devastation everywhere. And it's just, everything is wiped out. But for those who take refuge in the Lord, that's not where we emerge into. And that's good, isn't it? We're not going to come up out of that final battle into a wasteland. We're going to emerge into abundance and joy and good things. It's all there in verse 17. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Um, that dwells in uh, Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade. There's never going to be any more injustice at all. Um, in that day, the mountains will drip new wine. New wine. We like our wine, don't we? It's a picture of goodness and abundance. And the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. It's a place of refreshment, of delight. A fountain, it says, will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valleys of Acacia. It's a a wonderful scene, not of devastation after this this, this great battle, this last battle. It's It's a place of prosperity, of total prosperity, of total abundance, of total blessing. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are looking forward to it. And the chapter is finally good news as God will have defeated evil and sin and that's what we all should want. A defeat of all that, and yet a beautiful, prosperous blessing of a place. It's a wonderful scene there as God's people emerge. God will establish a kingdom, you see, where the pain of Star, Hobson, the 21 victims of Texas shooting, whatever it might be, the terrible wars and suppression are no more. They're no more. But of course, for that to happen, 
it's not my decision um, that counts, but it's God's decision. It's not for me to decide over good and evil. Our, our judgments are so often fallible and inconsistent and imperfect. They are human. They are inadequate. And only a holy God can decide. Only a holy God can make a decision on judgment day and yet, we, I don't know, we seem to spend so much time at the moment trying to work out who is in and who is out. And on Twitface, or whatever it's called, Twitter, that's it, not Twitface. Somebody calls it in my house, calls it Twitface. And society becomes polarised and we become so sure, we think we know all the answers, that we have it all sorted, and yet we only need to examine our own arts to know that we're no better than anybody else. We all want justice, right? We want justice, don't we? But when we say that, let's just remember what we're asking for when, you, when we call for justice. We're asking God to act accordingly to his just will. And if you think about it, without Christ, none of us can survive the just decision of God. But thankfully, we have Jesus Christ. Either Christ bore our sin and our judgment on the cross, or it still remains on us. There is only that, two places. Just as John 3.36 says, John 3.36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. So as we draw um, to a close, if God is coming in judgment, which Joel 3 is, is telling us, to defeat evil and to bring justice, what shall we do? What shall we do? Well, we firstly need to let God be God, don't we? And seek to understand what God is saying to us, to view things from his perspective and to leave him to make the decisions. Only he has all the facts. And finally, we should all seek refuge in God. That is the only safe place to be, is to seek refuge in God. That is it. It's found in Jesus Christ, his son. That is the refuge. That is the place to be. How we stand at that moment of decision before the examiner of all God himself. That's what really matters. The good news is for those who've received Christ is that we can stand there with confidence. We can stand with confidence. As he is the one who will pronounce us not guilty, that you have passed, not because we have done anything, but because Jesus Christ has done it. He will say, you know, you are one of mine. And how will our friends, our family, our colleagues stand before that day of decision? Are we going to tell them? Are we going to to talk to them about Jesus the Saviour? Jesus, the place of refuge? Verse 16b the second half of 16, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you for your word 
to us tonight. Um, Father, we know in many ways it's, it's a hard word, but we know the truth of your word is that you do tell us that judgment is coming, a day of decision is coming. And I pray for anyone here who's not um, made that decision to follow you and to follow your son now. I pray that they would do that now. Father, we pray that as we look for that day, for that final day when the Lord will return, we pray that we'll be, um, we'll be renewed by the prospect of your abundance that will flow out from that final day. And we pray that we'll trust you for all the decisions. We thank you that your judgments are good and perfect. And we pray we will take refuge in the Lord Jesus always, each day, each moment. We pray that you would revive our hearts with who you are and what you've done to save us from that final day of decision so that we may enter into your kingdom and know your abundance, your new wine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.